Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. The Peter Schiff Show. So much for yesterday's dead cat bounce. All of the major U.S. stock market averages came plunging down today. In fact, they all closed below yesterday's lows. So even though we had those big rallies off the lows, today we lost the entire gain and closed lower than the low point of yesterday. That is the most bearish signal you can get. And remember, on yesterday's podcast, I was not impressed with yesterday's rally. I thought it was a typical reversal Tuesday rally that should be ignored. To me, it looked like a lot of short covering, particularly if you looked at the type of stocks that were being bought. They seemed to me like they were the stocks that had a lot of shorts. And so the shorts saw a big gap down and decided to take an opportunity to cover. But you know, when you have a lot of shorts who cover, that's actually bearish because during the next decline, they're no longer there to buy. And that's why this next decline could be particularly vicious. I don't think the decline is finished. As I said, I think it's just getting started unless the Federal Reserve is going to come in and change the nature of the game. The Dow was down over 600 points today, 608 points and one cent. That is a percentage decline of 2.41%. Of course, there are a lot of stocks uh, that did a lot worse. Earnings today from AT&T, that stock was down just over 8%. I think there were also some worries regarding uh, the, the slow growth of subscribers at DirecTV, which was a recent AT&T acquisition. Also, UPS came out, disappointing earnings today, stock down 5.5%. Only Boeing might be the only Dow stock that was positive. I haven't checked, but probably they beat and they were up 1.3%. But still, that's barely a rise uh, given the earnings beat. And you know, more companies, I think, are off coming out after the close. I think Microsoft beat their number and the stock is up 3 or 4%. But AMD, I talked about that on a previous podcast, that stock is down over 20%. uh, Their earnings missed uh, in just just one afternoon. The market's only been closed for, I don't know, a half an hour. 
Uh, and uh, it's already down that much. Intraday, it was down a lot. So if you look at where it is now versus um, uh, what it lost today, AMD is down close to 30% in one day. But a lot of big-name tech stocks getting clobbered today. Facebook down 5%, new 52-week lows. I think now it's down about 30%, something like that. Clearly in a bear market. NVIDIA down 12.5% when you count the after-hours trading that's going on right now. I think it was down about 11% during the market. Also, take a look at Netflix. Remember, I talked about Netflix last week because they came out with that big earnings beat and the stock had this 12% rally or so, but then it finished the week negative. And I talked about what a bearish sign that was and the fact that the stock couldn't even hold the rally on good news. Well, today it dropped another 8.2%. In one day, the stock is barely holding on to 300. It's almost down 30%, 29% decline now from its peak. Netflix is in a bear market. If you look at the entire drop, though, for the NASDAQ, NASDAQ down 329 points in one day. That's 4.43%. You know, I checked, and this is the third biggest point drop in the history of the NASDAQ. The only point drops that were larger were in 2000 when the NASDAQ bubble, the dot-com bubble burst. The biggest drop was 355 points back in April of 2000. And also in April of 2000, we had the second biggest point drop, 349. Today's was almost as big, 329, although in percentage terms, it was quite a bit uh, smaller because the 4.43% drop is not as great as the 9.67% drop when it was uh, 355 points back in 2000 or the 7.64% drop. But you know what? We could take that out. We could break that record. But the fact that this is the biggest single day decline in the NASDAQ since the 2008 financial crisis means that today's drop is larger than any point drop that we had during the 2008 financial crisis. You have to go all the way back to the bursting of the dot-com bubble. Something big is happening when you see this kind of drop. I mean, the market technically couldn't be weaker. We're now down, I think, 12.5% in the NASDAQ or something like that in the month of October. Russell 2000, even worse, I think there's, we're down about 14, 14.5%, down another 3.79% today. <clears throat> the transports are probably the weakest index. I think we're almost down 15% now from the highs, down 331 points today, 3.24%. This is a bloodbath. Meanwhile, you know, when I was watching on financial television this morning, watching on CNBC, and all they were talking about this morning was the big reversal, yesterday's big upside reversal. And I'm thinking to myself, do these guys not even know what an upside reversal is? Yesterday was not a reversal. It was a down day. Yes, the market closed off the lows. The Dow was down, what, 400 and only closed down 100. But that's still a loss. A reversal is when you're down and then you end up going up. So if you're talking about an upside reversal, it's when the market is way down and then finishes way up, right? A downside reversal would be when the market starts way up and finishes way down. 
what we had yesterday was just another decline. But CNBC is trying to dress it up in a bow and focus on the fact that the market closed 400 points off its lows rather than the fact that the market was down. And the fact that it fell so much is indicative of how weak the market is. And yes, some people took the opportunity to cover their shorts, and so the market closed off the lows. But it was just another drop in a bear market, except nobody recognizes that we are in a bear market. In fact, look at the financials again today, some of the weakest stocks. I mean, not as weak as the tech stocks, but they're getting killed. You know, it started out early with Deutsche Bank, which hit a new all-time record low of $10, and that's exactly where it closed, down 6.5%. I've been talking about the problems at Deutsche Bank for years on this podcast, saying that Deutsche Bank was a leading indicator uh, for the rest of the financials. But look at our banks. Goldman Sachs down 4.3%, new 52-week low today. You know, the rest of the banks all, again, getting clobbered 2 3 4%. You know, I, I read this article trying to, uh, you know, point out or explain why the bank stocks were falling. And the explanation that the writer has was, well, bank stocks are going down because now interest rates are falling, and so that's bad for banks. I mean, the guy's got it bass backwards. I mean, A, interest rates are almost at their highs. In fact, the short end of the curve is at its highs. Yes, we've had a little bit of a decline in interest rates. The yield on the 10-year is down to 3.124%, but that is still a much higher rate than we were at at the beginning of the year. Yet people still don't get what's going on. They're still clinging to this false belief that rising interest rates are good for the banks. As I've been saying, rising interest rates are going to kill the banks. Just look at what happened today with new home sales, right? It was a horrible number. The number was way below estimates. The consensus was for 625,000 new homes to be sold. The actual number was 553,000, 553,000, way below estimates. And then they went back and they revised the prior month, August, which was originally reported as 629,000, and they moved that down to 585,000. So a big miss, a big revision. They're probably going to end up revising the number that we just got down later. The supply now of new homes that are unsold, the glut on the market, is the largest it's been since January of 2009. Right, That was in the heart of the Great Recession or towards the end of the Great Recession. And, you know, people obviously weren't buying a lot of property back then. You have to go all the way back to that year, January of that year, to find a greater supply of unsold new homes. Now, if you if you measure it relative to sales, right, how long would it take to sell the supply? Right now, it's 7.1 months. And that is the highest we've been since March of 2011. But you know what? That number is going a lot higher because there's still a lot of homes that the home builders have started that, you know, they're going to finish and they're going to put them on the market, right? Because they built them when they were still optimistic. All these home builders always overbuild. They're always optimistic at the top and they keep on overbuilding. And so there's going to be a lot more supply added to the market, but sales are going to continue to slow. So I think the price to sales ratios are going to hit all time record highs. But also 
these new homes are going to have to compete with the existing homes. More and more of the existing homes are going to come on the market because lots of homeowners are going to put their houses up for sale because they can no longer afford to maintain them, to keep them because interest rates are rising if they have an adjustable rate mortgage or a home equity loan or their uh, property taxes are going up or they no longer can get a tax write-off so they no longer need their home. Uh, there are a lot of reasons, but of course, once the recession really kicks in, a lot of homeowners are going to lose their jobs. And since they have no savings, they are not going to be able to pay their mortgages. So they're going to want to list their houses for sale. So the glut is going to explode. And what does that mean about price? The price is going to implode. Real estate prices are going to go down dramatically. I mean, my guess would be in your typical market, maybe it'd be 15, 20 percent, maybe maybe 30. But in your bubble markets, right, like California or places that have completely recovered uh, and made new highs from the bust, markets, their prices could drop by 50 percent or more. But if you get this type of decline nationally in home prices, what does that mean about home equity? It means it doesn't exist. I mean, every American homeowner who has a mortgage, I think, is going to pretty much lose all of their equity. And, you know, for most people in America, their home is their greatest asset. That's their only asset. But if you've lost your only asset, you're basically impoverished. I mean, most people's houses are going to go from their biggest asset to simply their biggest liability because they're going to have no equity, but they're going to be obligated to make payments. And this is going to exacerbate the severity of the coming recession, but it's also going to create a lot of problem for banks because banks own a lot of these mortgages that are about to go bad. But more so, I think, than residential, which is going to be a big problem. And of course, a lot of it is going to be for the taxpayer now because the government owns so many of these mortgages that are about to go bad, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, FHA. So these are going to be huge losses that are going to just explode the deficit even more than it's already exploding. But I think it's going to be the commercial real estate market that's going to deliver the fatal blow uh, to the banks this time, you know, because commercial real estate prices are also going to implode. And the commercial real estate is the collateral for all of these loans. So it's it's rising interest rates out of the problem, not falling interest rates. I mean, real estate prices are a function of interest rates. I mean, this is basic. I don't know why so many people don't get this, but the lower the interest rate is, the more the property is worth. Because the way you value a commercial property is you take the present value of the future rental income that's coming in. And it's probably the net rents netting out your expenses, your property taxes or other costs of maintaining. So you take your cash flow and you discount it to the present. And you discount it based on the interest rate. So the lower the interest rate is, the higher the present value of those future cash flows. And that is how real estate is sold and priced based on you know the, the cap, the cap rates, and you get a present value of the income. Well, when interest rates go up, right, real estate prices come down by, by definition. But also what is going to be crushing the real estate market is not only is the interest rate going to go up, which reduces the present value of their future income, but their future income is going to be diminished because a lot of the tenants are going to stop paying their rent. Certainly in the retail sector, a lot of retailers have been going out of business, shuttering stores. Uh, that means there's going to be a lot of vacant uh, properties that are generating no revenue for the landlord. 
Same thing is going to happen with offices. As we go into the next recession, there is going to be a huge increase in vacancies. In fact, there's already been a big increase in vacancies. It's just that artificially low interest rates have kind of kept the problem uh, at bay. Right? It's, 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 it's kind of kept a, a Band-Aid on the situation. But now that interest rates are no longer super low, even though they're still low in historic terms, they're not low relative to where they've been. So they're not low relative to what we're accustomed to or what we now need, right? Our drug, our drug habit is now much greater than it ever was. We have a lot more debt than we ever had. So we need interest rates to be much lower than they've ever been. Well, now that that's no longer the case, and of course the Fed is continuing to suggest that interest rates are going to keep rising, well, then the bottom is going to drop out of the commercial real estate market. And these loans, by and large, are not backed by the government. The banks have these loans on their books, and they're going to go into default, and there's going to be huge losses. Just like I, you know, I pointed out that Bank of the Ozarks, OZK Bank, which was down another four percent today, it's at now twenty four twenty three. This stock was over fifty bucks earlier in the year, and it's already been cut in half. Obviously, higher interest rates didn't help OZK Bank. I mean, they're bankrupting OZK Bank. But more and more banks are going to follow this bank down. I said this is a canary in the banking coal mine. People are dismissing it. Oh, the problems are contained to this one bank. They're not contained. They're widespread. We have been on a huge credit bubble. I mean, how do you think the Fed was able to engineer the rise in real estate prices, the rise in the stock market? This whole phony recovery was based on debt, based on going deeper and deeper into debt. Well, obviously, once you raise interest rates, that's it. I've said for years that the easy part was lowering rates to zero and doing QE. The impossible part is reversing that. It's normalizing interest rates. It's shrinking your balance sheet, right? Anybody can get drunk. The hard part is to sober up. The hard part is not becoming a drug addict, but kicking the habit. Going, going through rehab, that is the difficult part. And everybody on Wall Street, everybody in the media just assumed that everything was great, that the Fed, the Fed won, that the Fed's plan worked, but they were celebrating prematurely. Right? I, I said it's like uh, you know, a pilot, you know, you're celebrating a successful flight while the plane is still airborne. You got to wait for the landing. And if you find out that the pilot doesn't actually know how to land, then the only reason you've been circling is because the guy doesn't, you know, doesn't know how to land. And now, but eventually you're going to run out of gas if you keep on circling and the plane's going to come crashing down. That is the point that we are at. You know, I don't know how much longer it's going to be before we see Jim Cramer on CNBC screaming about how the Fed knows nothing uh, and that they have to do something to stop the carnage because this is just getting started. And the elections are November, what's a couple of weeks away. We're not even finished with the month of October. This market could get hammered over the next several days. And then we can set ourselves up for a crash on Monday unless the Fed does something to change the dynamic. But if it just pretends that everything is great, and of course, Donald Trump, you know, he's not helping out because he's talking about how great the economy is. It's the greatest economy in the history of the world, right? So then if that's the case, well, obviously it can withstand 2% interest rates. The reason that the economy is imploding with 2% interest rates is because it isn't the greatest economy in the history of the world. It's simply the greatest bubble in the history of the world. And the bigger the bubble, the smaller the pin that it takes to pop it. And this bubble has been popped and the air is going to come out. But it's hard for uh, the bulls to justify 
their talk about how great the economy is and then criticize the Fed for raising rates when rates are still too low, unless you want to acknowledge that it's just a bubble and the Fed is letting the air out of it. But obviously, it's not just the stock market that's going down. The economy is going down too. Again, look at the home builders. They all got crushed again today. Yesterday was a short covering rally and now they're all getting crushed again. And again, today's horrible uh, new home sales numbers were the catalyst because before the numbers came out, all the home builders were positive and they all sold off and they got killed, right? As a result of, of these bad numbers. Auto stocks again, getting killed. GM was down almost 5% today. Another another new 52-week uh, low. Ford, on the other hand, made a new 52-week low down 4.77%. But I do see the stock is up quite a bit. I haven't had a chance to look. They must. I know their earnings was coming out after the close, so maybe maybe Ford's earnings weren't as bad. I haven't looked at them, but we'll see if it can hold this rally. But before uh, the earnings came out, the stock was making a new low. But all these sectors. The autos, the housing stocks, the financials, the retailers, they're not all going down in a vacuum. They are going down because the economy is going into recession. You know, everybody just wants to point to the fact, oh, we got this 4.1% GDP growth. Yes, we achieved that for one quarter. We're going to get the first look at Q3 GDP on Friday, and we'll see where that number is. I mean, there's no way it's going to have a four-handle. I mean, maybe it'll have a three-handle, but even if it has a three-handle, they'll probably revise it down uh, later on. But just because we had a one-off number doesn't mean the economy is strong. And of course, the economy always looks strong right before it goes into recession, right? Nobody expects recession. Everybody is very optimistic just before the economy goes into recession. Remember, the Great Recession, which was the worst recession since the Great Depression, which the one that we're coming to is going to be worse than that one, but that was the worst one since the Great Depression. It started in December of 2009, but nobody knew we were in it. Even the summer of 2008, everybody thought the economy was great. Everybody was talking about how great the economy is, it was in recession at the time, and people still thought it was great. It was only after the financial crisis, after the market imploded and Lehman Brothers went bankrupt, that's when people talked about the economy being bad. That's when the Fed started to cut rates or slash rates in order to bail it out because everybody was so clueless. Even though there were all sorts of evidence that were coming out, and I was screaming from the rooftops, you know, if they let me on these programs, I would be screaming it again, but I was seeing all this stuff, and I was talking about it, it was plain as day, and nobody could see it, so just because everybody thinks the economy is so great, and it's just, it's something that everybody repeats, we have a booming economy, we have a great economy, no, we don't, in fact, one of the reasons that people are not worried about the market going down is because they think the economy is so great, and therefore, that's going to help the market, the market coming down should be a warning sign to the people who think the economy is great that there's something wrong, that maybe the economy is not as strong as they think. And of course, it's not strong. It is simply a debt-fueled bubble. We, we poured a little more fuel onto it with the tax cuts, and we bought a little more time, but simply made the bubble bigger, but now it's popped. And the air is coming out, and you're seeing it in the stock market, but you're seeing it in these numbers. Look at what's happening to home sales and auto sales. So it's only a question of time, and not very much time, before this market goes into recession. But the pressure is going to be on the Fed, because we could continue to collapse. The Nasdaq could maybe even lose another 1,000 points by 
by Monday, right? We're now, we're barely holding 7,000. We were above 8,000 at the beginning of the month. We're barely holding 7,000. We could hit 6,000 maybe by Monday, another 1,000 points. That would mean a 25% drop in the NASDAQ. That would put us solidly in bear market territory. Obviously, if we get the market crashing between now and the election, I think that could uh, basically turn around what momentum the Republicans might have built up for themselves as a result of uh, the Kavanaugh uh, confirmation. And not only might the Republicans lose the House, they might actually lose the Senate. I mean, they've been talking about picking up some Senate seats. But if the stock market is crashing, if we're in a bear market, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be hard. Yeah, Trump's going to blame it on the Democrats. He's going to blame it on the Fed. But at the end of the day, it's happening while he's president. And he's been saying the stock market is the scorecard. You know what a great president I am by looking at what happens in the stock market. Well, if voters are going into the polls and it's a bear market, they might blame Donald Trump, just like he claimed credit when the market was going up. Well, he's got to accept the responsibility when the market is going down. So for that reason, there could be a lot of political pressure on the Fed to do something between now and then, maybe as early as tomorrow. Now, what could the Fed do? I mean, an emergency rate cut, I don't know that they're going to be that extreme, but the Fed could come out and say something to the extent that given the uncertainty in the markets, we now have a neutral bias. Uh, we're, we're not inclined to raise rates anymore. They have to take the next rate hikes off the table and, and get the markets to think that the Fed may not hike rates. But the risk is that that doesn't work. The risk is that that backfires and the market goes down anyway, because now the market sense that the Fed is concerned, that they're worried, and now they want to test the waters and try to see if they can actually get a rate cut out of the Fed instead of just a promise to forbear on, on future rate hikes. Meanwhile, though, the dollar continued to rise today. That's probably the reason that gold was only up a couple of bucks, and most gold stocks were down. In fact, almost every gold stock was down today. They didn't fall as much as the Dow, or certainly not as much as the NASDAQ, but I think the reason that you didn't see a big rally in gold is because we had a rally in the dollar, mainly because of concerns about uh, Brexit, concerns about what's happening with Italy in the Eurozone. But you know, I think what's going on with Italy is actually bullish for the euro, provided, of course, that the uh, European Union stands firm and actually forces uh, less irresponsible fiscal policies onto the uh, Italian economy. But also the dollar is benefiting from the perception, you know, as wrong as it is, that the U.S. economy is doing great and that the Fed is going to keep raising rates. And nobody is worried that the decline in the stock market likely means that the Fed is not going to keep raising rates because they're going to have to stop raising rates to stop the stock market from crashing. And also the weakness in the stock market is signaling weakness in the economy. It is forward looking. And of course, remember the whole point of quantitative easing, the Fed's goal was to create a wealth effect. And the wealth effect was going to stimulate the economy. As the stock market went up, as the real estate market went up, that was going to create all this wealth and consumers were going to spend based on their increased wealth and that spending was going to drive the economy. Well, all of that wealth is going to disappear. I stated in the beginning of the podcast, I believe real estate prices are going to collapse. I believe all the home equity is going to vanish. So homeowners are going to be impoverished. They're not going to have any wealth. They're going to have just a mortgage. They're not going to have any assets. 
And many people, of course, are simply going to mail in their keys. Jingle mail is what they call that. There's not a lot of incentive to stay in your house when it has no equity, although some people may simply stop making their payments and just wait it out because they may end up two or three years, maybe more, in their house without making any payments. Right? That might provide some kind of minimal stimulus, but obviously at great cost because if the borrower is not paying, well, somebody is losing out on those income streams. And so it's not like a benefit for the economy because people stop paying my mortgages, but property values are going to implode. And as the stock market collapses, that's a reverse wealth effect too. All of a sudden people see their 401ks back to their 201ks and now they're not feeling so wealthy anymore. Now, oh my God, my retirement is now in jeopardy. I can't just you know sit back and, and, and let the, the, the stocks go up. Maybe I have to spend less. Maybe I have to save more, right? And so spending is going to be constrained. But if the Fed basically understood that the goal of an increasing asset market was to create wealth, that the the reverse of that process the collapse of the asset market would destroy that paper wealth and have the opposite effect on income so if consumers spend more when they feel richer they spend less when they feel poorer and of course they really spend less if a lot of the spending was the result of borrowing if people borrowed money based on appreciated assets well now they can't borrow it anymore in fact now the loans are due and they don't have the cash but now the lenders don't have the collateral because now everybody is trying to sell and interest rates are higher and prices implode. And of course, for real estate, prices can come down very, very fast because real estate is not nearly as liquid. You know, if you want to sell your real estate, you got to find a buyer. You got to find somebody that actually wants to buy your house. And that may be a very difficult thing to do. And a lot of people are going to find out that a lot of the home improvements that they made, People might have borrowed money to redo their kitchens or their bathrooms or, you know, uh, do something to the flooring. You may find that your tastes don't necessarily jive with people who might be interested in buying a home. And they're going to look at your house and they're going to say, oh, that's great, but I don't like any of it. And now they're going to have to factor in their head how much it's going to cost to destroy what you paid a lot of money to create. And so the actual loss of value of the home for the buyer can be tremendous because not only is the value of the property going to go down, but he's going to lose all the money that was spent on altering the property based on the taste of the, the new buyer because he didn't like what was already there. Well, the guy that buys from the seller going to have the same thing. He's going to want to change stuff. And so that devalues whatever was spent on the home improvement. So the losses are going to be horrific as the real estate market comes down. The only thing that could stop this would be the Fed. But when is the Fed going to acknowledge that it needs to cut rates? But the, the greater problem is the minute the Fed acknowledges that, it's all over because then the dollar is going to fall through the floor. You know, that's going to be like, you know, the emperor has no clothes because up until the point that the Fed hikes rates, they can pretend everything is great. They can pretend the economy is doing well. They can take credit for having successfully, you know, saved us from the financial crisis. But the minute they have to go back to zero and having never reached normal, the minute they have to expand their balance sheet and make it bigger than it ever was, and they never got around to shrinking it in any substantial way, that's an admission not only of defeat, but that it's never going to happen. That all the talk about ever shrinking their balance sheet or normalizing rates is just talk and that it's never going to happen because the Fed has created an economy that is permanently addicted to cheap money. 
But the problem is you can't have cheap money forever because eventually prices start to rise and you have an inflation problem that the world can see. And the Fed, as I've been saying for years, is going to be between a rock and a hard place because as the inflation problem accelerates, which it will because the dollar is going to tank when the Fed has to cut rates, right? It's not going to go up like it did in 2008. It's going to fall through the floor and nobody is going to come to its rescue. None of the foreign economies that were buying up dollars in 2010 and 2011 that saved it from collapse, none of those foreign buyers are going to show up. In fact, the world is going to breathe a collective sigh of relief when the dollar starts to fall and their own currencies start to rise. And when money starts flowing out of the U.S. into other economies, uh, that is going to provide an economic stimulus to those economies. So they are going to let the dollar fall. So as the dollar falls, prices are going to soar during the recession. And the Fed just can't keep interest rates low and allow the inflation to run because the dollar will be destroyed, but then they can't raise interest rates to save the dollar because then the economy will be destroyed. But if they allow the dollar to be destroyed, then the economy is going to be destroyed too. So it's damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. And it really doesn't matter what the Fed does, the ultimate outcome is still going to be disastrous. If you know, if they continue to keep rates you know, indefinitely down, and they allow the dollar to implode, then we have hyperinflation. That's the worst possible thing. But in order to avoid hyperinflation, they are going to create an economic situation that's far more disastrous than, than 2008. There's not going to be any bailouts. Lots of banks are going to fail, and lots of depositors are going to lose money. I said it's not just going to be the equity holders or the bondholders. There's going to be real losses. The government is going to be forced to slash spending. People are going to see their Social Security checks reduced. Right? And if they don't see that, well, then they're going to see them obliterated to inflation. Can all of this happen You know, in the next couple of years? It's possible. It might be extended uh, into the term of whoever follows Donald Trump. But I don't believe Trump is going to have a second term because the recession is certainly going to start before he finishes his first term. It may not end. We may not have the, the ultimate collapse. That may wait for the next president. But things will certainly get very bad. I mean, wait till the unemployment numbers really start to tick up. Wait till all these businesses that were so optimistic on the economy, wait till they find out that it's in a recession. Wait until they have to abruptly start laying people off. Right? Wait till they realize that they overexpanded and they overhired because they assumed the economy was going to be stronger. Wait till all these companies that loaded up on inventory because they assumed that there was going to be demand and it's not going to be there. Right? So you're going to see massive layoffs. You're going to see big declines in the GDP because people are going to be completely taken uh, off guard. And the stock market you know, going to keep falling. And so we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm doing this podcast today, obviously, because we had a big decline. And yesterday, you know, everybody was excited. As I said, nobody was worried. Everybody was focused on the rally back. Nobody cared how much we were down all they cared about was how far from the lows we finished. But the bottom line was the market went lower. And now we've taken out those lows. We closed below those lows. There is nothing but air beneath the market. If you look down, there is a big drop. If you try to find any trend lines, they are a long way down. So the markets could fall substantially. And I think if they fall to where the next trend lines are, they are all going to be in bear markets. And what is the odds that we're going to go into a bear market and that a recession is not going to follow? I mean, I think that's slim to none. But nobody at this point is even worried about a recession, let alone a bear market. Mm -hmm.